it's very therapeutic for me and empowering for me. And I always learn something new when I share parts of my story. But I also notice how much it serves others, that it connects others, that when you share your story, it almost gives people permission to do the same. You know, that's my thoughts on vulnerability, too. You know, when I'm vulnerable, it gives others permission to go there, too. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Episode R017 features a former retailing rock star who, well, you're not going to believe this, consumed 15 to 20 sugar-free Red Bulls every single day during his rise through the ranks of corporate America. Looking back, Matt Gagnon says his energy defined his self-worth. A sequence of events, including the birth of his son, the sudden death of his father, and a bouquet of debilitating medical diagnoses changed everything for Matt and his young family. In this interview, Matt talks about the importance of learning to ask for and receive help in community, and to ignore those who misunderstand the inward effects of narcolepsy and Addison's disease, especially when outwardly these illnesses seem to be invisible. Matt shares how LinkedIn helped him build his business and restore his family's financial stability. Now, I knew I was going to have fun with this interview when I saw Matt was a baseball fan. It'll be no surprise to you if you know me that that's where we start. Hey, Matt, thank you for inviting us into your life. I appreciate it. That's my pleasure. Thank you. I was just looking at your LinkedIn page, and I know you're a LinkedIn kind of guy, and I want us to get into that. But I'm a huge baseball fan, so this really stood out at me. In baseball, if you can't hit a curveball, you hire a hitting coach. When life throws you curveballs, you call me and you've got your phone number (laughs) and your email address out there. So tell me a little bit about you and what activities you're engaged in. I mean, you you do coaching, obviously. Tell me about that line and about what you do. Yeah. So, you know, I believe metaphors are are one of the most powerful ways to relate to people uh, because they, you know, they paint a visual. And, uh, you know, the big thing for me is that in sports, coaching is just so wildly accepted. You know, if you're struggling with something, you get a coach, you work with your coach, you develop your technique, you learn to overcome something. Uh, yet when we get into the real world and we get into life and we start to struggle and we have obstacles in our way, it's like you have to bury your head and figure it out on your own. You know, and I, I believe in having coaching in your life too, you know, in your career, you know, uh, I see so much value in it of having someone in your corner to give you awareness to your blind spots, you know, because you can't be expected to see your blind spots. Yeah, that's a good point. We we think we're supposed to be Mr. and Mrs. My Do It, you know, do things on our own. <laughs> yeah, just white knuckle it and find a way through it. I want you to tell me about your supply lines approach, and then we'll talk about 
how you came to that um, from mm-hmm. your background and how you apply it on your in your own life. But just kind of introduce the concept for us, if you would. Yeah, protecting your supply lines is a, a belief that we all have five things in life that we can have total control over. There aren't many things we have control of in life, but these five things are your sleep, your prayer time, your nutrition, your fitness, and connection, your inner circle of friends. Now, these five things I have a belief in that if you make intentional time for these things to be first in your life every day, every week, you're going to greatly protect yourself from the outside stresses of the world. Yet when we deplete ourselves of these things, when we cut these things off from our life, we make ourselves really vulnerable to fatigue, to burnout, to attack. Um, we're not our best selves. And, and one of the quotes I really always related with was, is, you know, the world wants the best of you, not what's left of you. And so I believe these supply lines is, is a great way of making sure that you're putting yourself first in order to better serve others. Yeah. And I want us to dive into how you came to the the supply line uh, approach as we as we share mm-hmm. your story. But first, I want to get a little bit of background. Um, where do you share your story, and why do you share your story? Where do I share my story? I share my story wherever it's going to serve someone else. Uh, the one thing I've really learned about story and sharing is that. Um, it's very therapeutic for me and empowering for me. And I always learn something new when I share parts of my story. But I also notice how much it serves others, that it connects others, that when you share your story, it almost gives people permission to do the same. You know, that's my thoughts on vulnerability, too. You know, when I'm vulnerable, it gives others permission to go there, too. And so uh, I think it's, a, it's just something that I love to do to help connect other people and also, I, I just have this thing where I don't want anyone to feel alone in this world with how they feel. So if my story helps connect them in some way, uh, then, then I've done my job. So wherever I find that it's appropriate and where it serves, uh, social media-wise, I love to leverage you know, LinkedIn and Facebook and Instagram. You know, LinkedIn's one of the areas where I really enjoy it because it's a conversation that you don't normally see on there. So it catches people off guard a little bit. Um, but it's a fun platform for me. So describe your, your reboot. Um, was it a moment or a coincidence, a choice, maybe a series of choices? Definitely a series of choices for sure. You know, I, uh, you know, I was always, uh, you know, an overachiever as a kid, you know, I struggled with my grades, but I was involved in every single activity. Um, you know, I was always the good kid. Um, but you know, I, I, I went through my share of ups and downs and hurts and, and betrayals in life and, you know, went my own path in my 20s. You know, I made a lot of money. I was getting promoted quickly, but I was burning out. Uh, I mean, I was burning out fast. Um, I didn't know I was actually getting sick in my 20s, you know, because I started losing my energy, you know, around 25, 26. And I also thought that all my value was based on my, my, my energy levels, that if I didn't have high energy, then people wouldn't value my work or my performance. And that was a lie that I was buying into. So at the age of 25, I started drinking 15 cans of sugar-free Red Bull a day um, to help fuel myself. Yeah, that sounds insane. It's amazing. Like if I tell somebody I drink a six-pack every day, they might be like, yeah, you might have a problem. 
But when I say Red Bull, they're like, you should be dead, bro. Like, it's a <laughs> totally different reaction. So, But I was doing that, and I had ADHD, so I was taking Adderall, too. So I would hike up Man. all the time, you know, and I didn't sleep. I just kept running and running and running. Um, and I was, you know, uh, I wasn't living a life that really aligned with my values. You know, I was spending money to make myself feel better. Um, there were all these bad habits going on until really the age of 30 when I started to burn out um, quite a bit. Um, and then it wasn't until really um, four years ago when my son was born um, that everything really changed. You know, I was still working in retail, traveling 25 nights a month. You know, I had a large territory I covered uh, in the country. And at the time I was with the Under Armour. And, um, you know, I remember my dad from Maine flew in and spent time with us, um, you know, waiting for my son to be born. But the birth went really challenging. It was extremely challenging. Um, you know, I thought we were going to lose my wife during the pregnancy, uh, during the birth. And, um, you know, it was a pretty intense moment. And I remember they had to do an emergency uh, C-section. And I couldn't be present for that. And so, you know, my son was wheeled in and my wife was not. So they still had a lot more work to do with her. And when I saw him, though, man, my whole world just changed. You know, I just knew that I instantly just felt like, you know what? I want to show this kid that it's never too late in life to follow your passion, to pursue what's important to you, to find your purpose. You know, and I was going to prove to him that, you know, there's something bigger out there that I'm supposed to be doing. And I want to show them what it takes to build something from scratch. And uh, I just remember taking my shirt off and holding him against my skin and just not wanting this kid to feel alone in this world, just feeling loved. And, uh, you know, thankfully, you know, my wife came out of it. Um, you know, it, it still took her out of work for about a year and a half. Uh, so that was, you know, one challenge, you know, having her out of work so long. Uh, and you know, a month after that, my dad passed away very unexpectedly from a heart attack. Uh, he was just gone instantly. Uh, my blessing from that was the night before he passed away. Um, I got to talk to him on the phone and say, I love you one more time. And for me, that was God just saying, you know, uh, I want you to say goodbye. You know, he gave me that chance to say goodbye to my dad one last time without knowing it. So I really started to revisit what's important to me in life and all of the airline status that I had, the hotel statuses I had, the rental cars, like all of these things that I thought made me awesome were just more meaningless to me because I couldn't see my family. You know, I was missing out on life. So that was a really, that, that started me on this journey to coaching uh, and really discovering that, you know, what I really love about what I do is developing people. I love developing people. I love helping people achieve, you know, their potential and helping them find their purpose. Uh, I really didn't care about selling shirts and shoes. It just didn't do it for me anymore. So I set out on a mission to find a coaching school that I could go to um, and start this pursuit towards serving others and building something of my own. Uh, and that took, uh, you know, a few more years from that point till I actually made the move. It wasn't really until three years ago. Um, as of September of this year, that I started the journey officially and went to the Coaches Training Institute and started actually um, 
you know, furthering my education on being an official co-active coach, as it was called. So that was a, a pretty big part of the journey there. I mean, there were a lot of switches in series, <laughs> to be honest with you, um, because the final one really that pushed me out of retail and into coaching full time was I got sick. I got really sick, like not normal stuff either. You know, I got um, diagnosed with narcolepsy, Addison's disease, which is a really rare autoimmune disorder that uh, prevents your body from making adrenaline and cortisol. So if I get stressed out emotionally or physically, I would just go into shock um, instead of fight or flight. And it could be potentially fatal if not treated properly. So, and it greatly affected my energy. I was diagnosed with cataplexy, a traumatic brain injury for uh, too many concussions, uh, muscle spasms and seizures, uh, a whole variety of things that were just this giant storm. And, you know, I sat there in the parking lot in April of 2015 of a doctor's office and I just said, you know what? I'm not, I don't want to take another medication. You know, I don't, I don't want any more of that stuff. I maybe what it would be like if I just stepped out of the job that was working me so hard. And that's what I did. I called HR and I went on medical leave. And, you know, I made a commitment that uh, I was going to start doing healthier activities and have a community be more present with my family. And, uh, and I'd focus on this coaching thing a little bit as for whatever energy I had. But those were really the big switches I had with some, some big family events and then illness um, that really turned me on to this course. Wow. That's a lot to unpack, Matt. <laughs> You're telling me. One observation that, that I can connect with is you thought that you were defined by how much energy you had and energy all of a sudden is taken from you. Well, mm -hmm. I've built my adult life around having a great voice for broadcasting, radio and television. Right. And so probably 15 years ago, I was diagnosed with asthma after about mm -hmm. pneumonia. And mm -hmm. guess what leaves me fairly often? Your voice. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Forces me to listen better and mm -hmm. it forces me to find another definition of who Tracy is. There you go. So your performance doesn't determine your value. Yeah. There is so much wrapped up in your story, just battling through incredible illness. I can't imagine what kind of financial issues there were with all of these decisions and the amount of <laughs> toughness it took to get through all of that. You're telling me. Yeah. No, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I really value the whole experience. Like I, I really wouldn't trade it um, at all because if I didn't get sick, I would still be working in that job, my old corporate job. And I would keep saying, once I have enough money, then I'll start building my business, you know? And that would never happen. You know, I would just keep going on that hamster wheel of just waiting for the perfect opportunity. Uh, instead, I really got pushed into it and said, all right, here we go. Uh, and, you know, 
that's when I started making these changes about like, all right, well, one of the things was I asked God, what was the lesson you're trying to teach me right now in all of this? You know, I have no energy. I can barely do anything. It feels like brushing my teeth is a victory some days. I've got severe depression that's coming in. You know, what are you trying to teach me? And I remember his words were very clear. He says, well, how else was I supposed to get you to listen? All right, touche. I've been moving, you know, a million miles an hour for most of my life. And then now I couldn't move at all. And I, all I could do was just be still. So I listened. <laughs> I listened a lot. And boy, he took me to school quite a bit. And I think uh, one of the biggest lessons I learned through all of it was, uh, one, how to ask for help. That was pretty big because uh, I had always been the one that gave help, but I never really was one to ask for it uh, because we were, we were financially in trouble. Uh, you know, we fell five months behind in our mortgage. You know, we had massive, massive debt from medical bills um, and some of the sins of my youth from spending, you know, that we were still trying to overcome, but uh, learn how to ask for help. And second was also how to receive it. You know, it was one thing how to ask for it, but then it was also difficult to receive it. Uh, and so those were a couple of very big lessons. And then the other lessons, too, that I really valued was how to surrender, how to only rely on my faith, actually. You know, because there were people in my life that didn't understand what I was going through, and they judged me. I looked healthy on the outside. So people would just say, hey, maybe you're just lazy, <laughs> you know, or you should just go back to work. You know, you're being kind of selfish, all these things. And, and the depression was invisible. You know, my illnesses were invisible. I mean, so some people just judged me. And, uh, and that was difficult. And I was angry at them, too, for quite a while. I kept relying. I, you know, I needed them to understand what was going on. And then finally, I remember my wife said it very clearly. It was awesome. My wife said, I think God's purposely putting people in your life that won't do what you want. So you only rely on him. And man, that was a slap to the face. I didn't want to hear that. <laughs> I, I, I was not real. I was like, come on. It was so true, though. And that's why I didn't want to hear it. It was so real. I had to get over that. And so I surrendered that. And I remember when I let go of those people, you know, I remember that it created a vacancy in my life for God to send new people into it that would align with my values and support me on my journey. And he would be able to speak through them. So it was ridiculously powerful um, experience for me to have in that process of, of surrendering, along with surrendering my stuff. You know, all the things I thought were important to me, I was like, it's just stuff. You know, that's it. And so I remember the hardest part to surrender was my house and my vehicle. And I, I kept saying, no, I can't get rid of those things. I have to have them. And I remember the point where I finally said, all right, God, if you want me to sell these things, I will sell them. And the moment we attempted to try and sell them, both my wife and I looked at each other and said, something feels really off. This doesn't feel right. And it was like God saying, hey, I, I'm glad you surrendered these things, but I, you don't have to sell them. That's not the point. Because I just didn't want you to hold these things higher than me. So, so many lessons. How do you know when God's talking to you? I mean. I struggle with that a lot. What's the difference between me justifying something and defending myself and you knowing mm. this voice of God thing? I mean, there are a whole lot of believers who never hear the voice of God. And then, you know, 
on on the entrepreneurship side of of the reboots podcast, I have a lot of people who don't believe in God at all. So talk to both sides of of our audience about how do you know when God's talking to you and how do you decide when you're just blowing smoke up your own dress? Yeah. Um, I didn't know you knew I was wearing a dress, but it's very intuitive (laughs) of you. Uh, (laughs) So I have a lot of people who don't believe in God at all. So talk to both sides of of our audience about how do you know when God's talking to you and how do you decide when you're just blowing smoke up your own dress? Yeah. Um, I didn't know you knew I was wearing a dress, but it's very intuitive (laughs) of you. Uh, (laughs) So for me, it's about like, when am I relying on my own strength to get things done? And then when am I relying on my faith? And I can feel that physically in my body. If you stop and and take real awareness in how you physically feel in a situation that you're trying to control, that you want more probably than it should happen, like pay attention to your breathing. Like you might notice that you start breathing very shallow up in your chest and it starts creating a little anxiousness. It starts creating a little bit of anxiety in you. You know, you feel like this energy, like I got to get stuff done. I got to get this done. Um, you, you feel your body kind of tensing up and you're a little scattered. Um, you know, that's one of the things I noticed for myself is that when I'm trying to control something and force something to happen, make something happen, I'm, I'm really, I'm kind of anxious. You know, I know that when he's speaking to me, like I can feel it in my bones. Like it is just like a chill, like, whoa, that was cool. And sometimes he does it through people in my life where like, you know, it might not be something that one of my friends would normally say, but all of a sudden this really deep and profound thing comes out of their mouth. And I'm like, holy cow. And even they're kind of surprised too. Like, I, I don't even know what I just said. Um, so it's, <laughs> it's one of these really cool moments where he just uses us, you know, in these situations. So I think it's really cool. So even people who aren't of faith, you know, that's the thing. I work with people who are faith and not of faith because I really believe in meeting people where they're at. Like we're all on our own journey. And I, I'll tell you what, for sure. Like if someone told me, you know, 10 years ago, Hey, you need to believe a certain way. I'd be like, no, that's not working for me. Um, I had to figure, you know, I had to find it on my own. And I really believe everyone's on their own journey. So I like to meet people where they're at. And, uh, and I really do believe that whether you're, if you're, if you're not of faith, just really pay attention to yourself physically. If you're really trying to make something happen, that's not meant to be, you're going to feel really anxious about it. It's not going to be fun to do. Uh, and, and you're not going to be very clear headed. So something I, I really recommend being aware of. Yeah. You, it's almost like earlier um, you talked about how your life wasn't aligning with your values. And for me uh, in Winchell Story Works Inc., I express that as knowing, sharing, and living your story. I encourage mm-hmm. people to align all of those things. And it's almost as if this process is just making sure your your life decisions are aligned with what you say you believe about God, about the things that are important to you. And man, that's always a gut check, isn't it, Matt? Oh, it's a super gut check. You know, the the first gut check really is, is uh, you got to know what your values are. 
And some people, you know, can be at a later stage in life and still not know what their values are because no one's asked them where it's been a long time since they've actually checked. Some people just have values they think other people want them to have. So that's part of my initial work with every client is to first, let's figure out what your real values are in life. And I'm not talking about just things like, you know, integrity and family and stuff like that. Like talking about things that fill your tanks up, that when you do these things in your life, that you just feel awesome. Like for me, I've got a value around music. If I'm listening to music, if I'm playing music, like I'm more creative, I'm more easygoing, I'm less stressed out, uh, I'm more present, you know, because there's something about music for me that allows me to experience and express emotion, you know, through something different. You know, I have a value around mountains and being in Colorado or Maine, you know, there's something about being in the wilderness and the openness that just, man, just completely blows the lid off of, you know, uh, my creative thought process. You know, I, I find that I'm a better writer when I'm, you know, also out in the wilderness. So I have certain things that I need to bring into my life and make sure that I'm doing those things in order to keep my tanks full and be the best I can be in the rest of my life. So when life gets a little wonky and things feel off, I look at my values and say, oh, wow, like I haven't been playing my guitar in a while. So that might be one reason why I'm feeling a little off, you know, or I haven't been spending enough time with my son and playing, you know, so that could be one thing. So if we know our values, we'll know how to fill those tanks when they run empty. If you don't know your values, you're going to fill those tanks with stuff that doesn't belong there. And that's when people get in trouble with addiction. Let's go back a little bit and talk about uh, shame. You know, you talked about uh, the those dark days when you were in financial distress and you claimed responsibility for your part in that earlier in your life. And -hmm. then you're having to ask for help. You talk about the depression. There's this ugly thing called shame and guilt. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're slogging through that. And how unhelpful it is for certain people in your life to heap shame on top of shame unnecessarily. Why do we do that? Yeah, it's a good question. You know, uh, especially having shame over how you feel. You know, it's, uh, it's pretty crappy to already feel crappy, but it's even crappier <laughs> to beat yourself up over feeling crappy. You know, it's just like, I shouldn't feel this way. Um, like it's, uh, shame is a real tough animal to deal with. It's a real beast and it sneaks in quite a bit, you know, when you have depression, uh, and you're navigating through these situations like finances and health issues. Uh, I remember I was reluctant to ask for help because I was again, ashamed of what people would think people would judge me. Oh, the guy's got a nice house, you know, um, you know, he, he looks healthy again. Like what's, what's the deal? Like, that's ridiculous. Uh, so I just remember, uh, my friend who wanted to put together the GoFundMe account said, you know, uh, we want to do this for you. We know people would want to help. And, uh, finally I just kind of surrendered to it. I said, okay, you know, let's do this. And, uh, you know, some people did judge, you know, and that was fine. But what I did notice within five minutes of it going live, someone had put, you know, donated money 
And it completely just annihilated that limiting belief that I'm not, I'm not worth it. You know, that I, that, you know, I'm not worth getting help. Uh, and so it was an amazing experience um, going through that, but the shame piece continued to haunt me, you know, through the depression that uh, I'm not a good enough father. I'm not a good enough husband. Um, you know, am I ever going to get healthy again? You know, cause some days I just, just couldn't get up off the couch. You know, it was just a powerlessness. It wasn't about willpower. It was just, I, I, I couldn't do it. And then the depression would sink in too about, you know, I'm worthless. Uh, you know, there were suicidal thoughts, you know, that were side effects of some of the stuff I was going through of, of some of the, the illnesses. Um, so there were plenty of demons to, to battle, you know, while still being a father, a husband and an entrepreneur, you know, building a business while I'm broke. What advice do you have for some of us who don't realize we're heaping shame in situations like that? How do we just hush our mouths and hmm. offer encouragement? Maybe even, you know, you don't ever want to encourage someone to deny their feelings, but you also, right. what's a safe manner to, for, for the people you love who who weren't supportive to feel the way they felt as they were concerned about you, but also maybe just not heap shame on you, even as they figured out a way to express their concern about you. Yeah, you know, so when it comes to people heaping shame on someone else or you know, projecting shame, you know, my number one thing is, is just for anybody is, you know, what would it be like if you approach someone with curiosity instead of assumption or judgment? You know, what if we actually under, you know, uh, came to the realization that, you know, what we see on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. Like what if we actually took some time to see what's going on underneath? Uh, so when we have curiosity, maybe we bring a little empathy with us too. You mean we shouldn't make assumptions about people just because of what we know or think about people who aren't like <laughs> sounds, us? Sounds so obvious when you say it out loud, right? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like, well, yeah, I mean, that's of course, but you know, in our own heads, sometimes that's just what we do anyways. Uh, you know, I've been guilty of it in my past, but I'll tell you what, this whole situation of having something invisible really gave me a, an immense amount of empathy for others. So when I, I saw other people who were having a bad day and I'd be like, man, that, that dude's a real a-hole. You know, I started to sit back and say, well, yeah, he's acting like a real a-hole, but you know, I wonder what's going on in his life, you know? So it, it's made me want to reach out to people more, you know, and, and check in to say, Hey, is everything going okay? You doing all right. Um, and I've noticed that people sometimes stop what they're doing and they look at me and they're just like, no, I'm having a tough day, <laughs> you know, and it catches people off guard when we can just be empathetic and curious about what's really happening underneath, you know, but it's not always easy with somebody who's, uh, you know, when somebody's projecting shame onto someone else, you know, I've really learned that it has nothing to do with me. You know, it's not, it's not going to have anything to do with you and what you might be going through it has to do with the individual. There's something about you and your situation that they can't be with. 
And I have a lot of empathy for that. They're working on their own stuff. There's something about me that they can't be with the situation. You know, maybe it's the fact that I am asking for help. And for them, that's a really uncomfortable thing to do. So they're projecting it on me. It's like, how dare you? How could you do that? Because for them, that's really difficult to do. Same thing with vulnerability. Hey, why would you share such private things? That's ridiculous. You're just trying to get attention. Well, the question really is, what is it like for you to, you know, to be vulnerable? Man, you know, over the weekend, I was uh, prepping for this interview and I saw some of your, your vlogs on YouTube and they made me cry, dude. Um, because of your vulnerability and, um, they also show me, um, and I'm sure you, uh, how far you've come because if you're like me and it sounds like you're a hard charger, it's really easy to keep looking down the road at what's not done to keep looking at your to-do list at what you Mm -hmm. didn't get done today because you bothered to stop and ask somebody what's wrong. And they spent an hour telling you those vlogs kind of, they kind of hopefully remind you just how far you've come from those days when you just couldn't get up off the couch. What, how does that vulnerability impact not only your own psyche, but your business. Yeah. Well, you know, that's how, um, so when I had to build my business, I was broke. And so I took a grassroots approach to it. You know, um, I leveraged the 15 years of my retail career um, and used it to help me build my business. You know, it was the same career that burned me out. Uh, But then I realized like, wait a minute, I've got some skill sets that some of my peers don't have. Like I know some amazingly gifted coaches, but they have no idea how to build their business. Here I am with 15 years of this experience that I was ready to to write off because I was so burned out by it and realized like, wait a minute, I've got strong acumen. I have experience in marketing and sales, um, you know, operational excellence. I had all this different experience that I was like, I can use this to help build my business. I was like, all right, this is cool. And I saw a lot of my peers, too, who would keep saying things like, I'll start building my business once I have a business card, once I have a website, once I have an LLC, you know, once I get more training. It was like, blah, 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 blah. I was like, no, I want to start this now. Like, I've got everything I need. I don't need business cards. I don't need a website. I don't need to pay for anything. I just tried to create my own tools. So, you know, I, that's how I started leveraging LinkedIn. That was free. You know, and so now that I'm leveraging this social media, how do I find my people? I didn't believe in trying to hunt for people and set up, you know, sample sessions by doing cold calls and stuff. That wasn't my thing. I decided that I would put out my own messages, share my own stories, my own thoughts, beliefs, what I stand for, value and believe in. And that started to attract my tribe. I saw social media as a way of being a lighthouse, a beacon, you know, that would attract people that aligned with my values. You know, not all of them, but, you know, some of them at least that would make the working relationship really fun. And so that's why I really felt inspired to be vulnerable was, you know, not only to connect with people, but I also knew that that was a great way to build the business too, because 
I could help people connect with someone who was real and had credibility and could connect and relate with what they were going through. You know, so I truly do believe it's a life purpose of mine to share my journey because that's God's way of saying, you know, hey, look, I've built you by hand to thrive through every situation of your life so you could serve someone else. So you never have to worry about the situation you're in because I'm going to help you get through it so you can someday help someone else. And that's where my life purpose statement came from. That's part of my business too. But my life purpose statement says, I am the courageous heart that passionately beats to serve and empower the hurt, broken, and lost. Oh my, that's amazing. That's why I get up every day. I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile and there's a ton of information there, Matt. How much time did you spend coming up with it sounds like you fleshed out your life statement here and added your skill sets and your resume. I mean, it it reflects who you are, not just professionally, but but personally, like you say. How long did it take you to put that together? Um, you know, that that took a that took a good chunk of time. You know, I really I rewrote the summary when I was still in retail. Um, when I decided that I wanted to use social media differently, LinkedIn especially differently. LinkedIn was very stuffy and professional, and there was a certain way you were supposed to do things on there. Uh, and I said, well, the hell with the rules. Uh, I like doing things differently. And I started just, instead of sharing other people's quotes, I just shared my own thoughts you know, and beliefs on things. And I remember when I first changed my summary and I started with, I believe in comeback stories, that instantly started to connect with people. And so I started kind of crafting it from there and being more and more vulnerable. Like, all right, what's another element of me that I want to put out there? And I noticed that the more and more I stretched myself and being vulnerable and putting who I was out there, the more and more connection I was creating. Because it helped me also understand from a business perspective on how I was helping other people find jobs with their LinkedIn with people, like the best companies out there hire people that align with their culture, you know, not just because of their results. They want to hire people to align with their culture. So people are, you know, companies and businesses and people are looking for more than just a highlight reel of results. They want a whole person. So I wanted to write a summary and a profile that when people finished reading it, they'd be like, I have a pretty good idea what it would be like to talk to Matt. You know, so I want to get on the phone with this guy. I want to meet this person. I've got, I've already got a really good, I feel like I know him already. I want it to be an intimate conversation between the reader, you know, and, and, and the person. So I'd say it took me a good, good couple of years, you know, to really perfect it. But now I can help people write one like that in a month, you know, over four hours of time. You know, I help people craft something like that. But it took me personally, you know, over a year or so to really kind of figure out my process on what it was like. And that's one of the services that you offer. How how does that work? Yeah, you know, that was the misfit in my business for a while because I was like, all right, you know, my company's life story coaching and I really help people get unstuck and, you know, leverage the power of their story in a lot of ways. And then I had this weird LinkedIn thing that I was really good at. 
Um, and then I realized that I'm helping people tell their story too on LinkedIn, helping them tell their career story along with some of their personal story too. Um, and so how that service has looked like is, you know, I offer four one hour sessions over the course of a month. It's usually one session a week. You know, we do a, a Zoom call so we can screen share. And I guide people step by step through the entire LinkedIn platform. Now, the consulting part of it is I'll tell you the tips and tricks on how to build a great profile. The coaching piece is helping you learn how to articulate who you are, what you stand for, value, and believe in, and annihilate any limiting beliefs about what you can and cannot put out there about yourself. That's when we start creating a really cool profile. And I want people to write something that makes them feel a little uncomfortable at first, because that's when you know you're putting something good out there. When it makes you feel a little queasy, about like, I don't know if I can say that. So that's, um, by the last two sessions of the, the LinkedIn training, we're really focusing on how to leverage it now. You've got a great profile. Now, how do you actually build your network? How do you build great community? How do you actually start generating sales leads um, or start recruiting people? Whatever it may be for the profession that you're in and how you want to leverage it. That's how, what we start doing. What does a great post look like? What does an article look like? Um, you know, what are the things you should write about? So, um, by the end of those four weeks, you know, you should be golden on your LinkedIn profile and in between sessions, you know, I make myself hundred percent available to clients so that we can bounce ideas off each other, uh, and go from there. You're the first person who is, who has said that LinkedIn is a massive part of your reboot story and the bonus is that you've learned how to make LinkedIn um, the reboots part of the the, the uh, reboots component for a whole lot of people. That's amazing. Thank you. Well, yeah, no, it was very unusual <laughs> experience, but it worked out to serve a lot of people. Because I hear people all the time talk about how if they just had better job satisfaction, they could do. X or Y. <laughs> yeah. What if you just did X or Y and then let figure out the rest? Yeah. Hey, I, I know uh, we're bumping up against time here. Um, I've got a couple of final questions. You've touched on this already. I just want to make sure that we hammer it home here toward uh, the end of the interview. The redemption in your suffering. What good in your life today exists that wouldn't have existed without the darkness in your life? Wow. Uh, let's start with faith. Faith is probably the biggest one. Um, I wouldn't have the relationship with God that I have today if it hadn't been through the challenging situations I'd been through. I needed something to break me so I would stop relying on my own strength. Uh, because I was just going to head down a destructive path. Um, I don't even know if I'd still be alive. So uh, I don't know if I'd have a family. So I'm, I'm truly grateful for those things. So faith is the, the first thing. The second thing is, it's just freedom, like freedom from stuff. You know, I still have things that I like, but I'm no longer held hostage by them. Um, freedom from limiting beliefs. That, you know, uh, now I understand that no matter whatever happens to me in life, I'm always going to be okay. I might not be in an ideal situation, but it will be okay. 
you know, uh, family, being present, like actually giving up and surrendering the idea that I need to worry and get stressed out. Holy cow, I've overcome some crazy stuff. Like I shouldn't even be in this house anymore. But here we are, caught up on our mortgage, have a thriving business. My wife is an entrepreneur. We have a house with two entrepreneurs in it. That's, people tell me that's impossible. But when I got sick, she built a pet sitting business first as a hobby, you know, just watching dogs. And then all of a sudden it grew into an LLC and now she's hiring contractors. We are a household raising a son with two entrepreneurs in it. That's awesome. So we, we get to spend every day with our family as a, as a family together doing this. It's brought us together in an immense way. Man, that is awesome. Do you have a specific tool, a book, scripture, something that would help somebody who is sort of feeling your pain in their own life? Mm, yeah, that's, um, you know, one of the first things I'd offer is, you know, I'm 100% available to chat with anybody. You know, maybe coaching is something that's right for, for somebody. That's, if it's resonating with you, if this conversation is resonating, then maybe coaching is something they want to explore. And I highly recommend reaching out to me. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, by searching for my name, Matt Gagnon, uh, G-A-G-N-O-N, or people can email me, Matt at lifestorycoaching.net. Um, and people can call me too. I have my number on my LinkedIn as well. Um, the other thing too is, you know, I always value scripture and, uh, you know, one of the scriptures that is important to me is first Samuel 17, 48. And it's a really simple scripture, actually. Uh, first Samuel 17, 48 is in the story of David and Goliath. And the essence of the scripture is David ran towards Goliath. And I think that's probably one of those powerful lines I've ever read. David ran towards Goliath who runs towards, you know, a giant, you know, with just a handful of stones and you have no fans on either side of the field. You're being taunted from each end. You know, you have no reason to do this other than to have this courageous heart after God. So it makes me think what giants are in your life that you should be running towards. So uh, for me, that's an inspiring piece of scripture and I really believe that if this resonates with you, then it's time to start running towards your giants. And sometimes that Goliath might be you. Wow. That's a pretty powerful thought as we wrap up 2017 and look toward 2018. Do you have a giant that you need to face? Do you even know what it is? I'd encourage you to reach out to someone you trust who will listen without judgment Maybe that's even sending me an email, tracy at rebootspodcast.com, or you can reach out to Matt via LinkedIn or any of his social profiles. I'll include all of his links in our show notes. Matt has what may be my favorite explanation yet for discerning that little voice we think or hope or even fear may be our creator guiding us through life. I also love that Matt embraces the opportunity to work with people of all faiths or no faith. This notion that we meet people where they are in life and in faith is for me an essential component of loving others. If you're looking for a guest speaker to motivate, encourage, Man, give Matt a call. If you're looking for a life coach or a business coach, 
Chat with Matt. His number is on his LinkedIn profile. Thank you so much, Matt, for sharing your story. Now, if this story has helped you in some way, would you let us know? Again, the email is tracy at rebootspodcast.com. And if you know someone who struggles with chronic illness and might benefit from hearing Matt's story, would you share that too? I'm Tracy Winchell, and we'll see you next time. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, rebootspodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell Storyworks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.